back with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 383 aka year eight week 11 coming at you this week as always i am your host mr richie rich along with mc and ks and welcome back ks i have missed you sincerely (laughs) uh Uh we'll get to that in a minute but there's been a handful of times and mc you can attest to this i before the pre-show i went Hey, is KS going to be on? Because I have some questions for smart people, and I don't have smart people around me to ask these questions to. And so I really, I really need to talk to Ken or KS, excuse me. Um, so I'm glad to have you back, and we're gonna we're going to get around to one of those at some point here. Uh, before we do, normally I'd say what is going on with you guys, but is there anything you want to share? What what caused the absence? Because I'm sure it was world travels and liberty conferences and all that other good stuff. Uh, anything like that that you want to share or any takeaways from those, any new, uh, I don't want to say revelations, but any, any news of the world uh, from those, those conferences and the whatnots? Yeah, those were um, uh, in Tanzania, Uganda, Nepal, India, and California, and uh, next week, uh, Republic of Georgia. So um the liberty movement among the youth is uh, alive and well and thriving um the uh one negative was that uh going to india you actually had to have a a license to meet and talk about liberty because uh, they're in the midst of an election and they're highly sensitive to people i'm uh, talking about uh, individual liberty and so without a permission you can you can get shut down and arrested and deported or see local organizers put in prison. I kind of want to make fun of that, right? Because it seems like something that should be ridiculed. Um, but I've also seen free speech zones here in the United States be a thing, right? We're like, yeah. you, you, you can have your free speech in the bullpen over there, right? Not, not where you're not in the grander scheme of things, but where we allow you to. Um, so it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem unlike governments to say like, well, you can, you can get permission to talk about Liberty, but you know, we want to see the script first kind of a thing. Yeah. And and then they, uh, rent out an auditorium and the leftists come and try to shut that down too. That's unsurprising everywhere. <laughs> so, okay. And I've, I may have covered this before. Um, I, it's, it's going to be a little bit different with the renting of the auditorium, uh, but public square, right? Uh, what is it? The, the tyranny, oh man, what's the term I'm looking for? I don't remember what it is. It's basically when the, you know, when the opposition like drowns you out, you, you recall the term off the top of your head, either of you mm. like tyranny of the bullhorn or something like that. Anywho, the point is that if it's, if it's a truly public square, right? I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, because to me, that's like market activity. Right, I can chalk that up to market. It's not state intervention, 
right? Like I had this discussion, you know, uh, with some friends that like, you know, the, the cancel culture being a thing and someone posted a meme like, oh yeah, you know, the, the right, they really, you know, they really like free market activity, yada, 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 except when it comes to their speech and their, when they get fired um, for, you know, saying dumb things when cancel culture hits them. I'm like, yes, I've been saying from the beginning that cancel culture is a market function, right? It's, we may not like it, but that's, there's, there's no state intervention. There's no government involvement. So if, you know, if you're truly in the public square and someone comes to drown you out, right, then, then you can move to the private square, like renting an auditorium, right, where you can then hire security to remove those people. Um, because you, you know, presumably you've got either uh, donors or ticket purchasers, right, who are not getting what they paid for if they're being drowned out by leftist protesters or any protesters for that matter. Um, and then they should be removed, right? Or, you know, or in some way, shape or form compensating those who were uh, devalued by not getting what they paid for. Does that make sense? But I know there's a term for it. So you guys had this auditorium and the leftist protesters tried to drown you out. No, no, I was just making a comment of, Oh, uh, what, even if, even if you get the government approval, um, there's people that will try to stop you from having a free yeah. speech anyway. Well, yeah. And again, but if you get the government approval on private property, you, you can, you can put armed guards at the gates, man, and do, do whatever you find necessary to do to, you know, to prevent that from happening. But if you go out into the public square with, you know, the bullhorn again, or the microphone and set up shop and they show up, you know, like the, the campus events, right? Like the, the, the students on campus. Well, they have a right to be there. They're students. They pay the tuition, presumably, you know, through loans or whatever. And if you're going to give, you know, if you're going to give them equal access to those functions, um, then it's kind of what you get. And since a lot of those are federally or publicly funded anyway, it's kind of hard to call that uh, private grounds for the most part. And then, but then what do you do? You you move it off, or you know, you do it like a a zoom meeting of some kind where you, you pre-record the message and, you know, take questions or whatever. Like, uh, I, th- I don't know how often they do it, but the, like the Mises university, right. I, I, I know it's not a regular thing, but every, every few months or so, there's like an influx of videos and audios and speeches, right. That, they, that they have given. And those are never interrupted by protesters. Right there, they, there's a select handful of people who are allowed to attend. It's recorded and then it's blasted out on the internet for everyone to see and comment on or whatever. Um, but they they have avoided experiencing those protesters disrupting those services. So try as you might, you will be prevented. Um, you had some thoughts on some things uh, aside from your travels, KS. That was pressing on the mind one thing has has occurred to me is that um, i was quite impressed with the welcoming that people around the world gave to ukrainian refugees fleeing uh, uh, the war the invasion from from russia and um but it seemed in such sharp contrast to the attitude of of people around the world to Refugees from every other part of the world. I mean, there, there were invasions, um, wars going on in Afghanistan, Iraq, and uh, uh, various uh, African countries and Syria and Bangladesh and Burmese. Uh, 
you know, people desperately fleeing even greater hardship, not that it isn't bad in, in Ukraine, but even more serious destitution. And yet um, the world seemed mostly closed and unwelcoming uh, of those kinds of refugees. But um, aren't they just people just like the ones in Ukraine? Um, what do you, how do you explain? What's your first reaction when you, th- when you think, ah, what a different act- reaction people had? I mean, across Europe, across, I, I saw groups in Uganda that were championing the cause of the Ukrainians. Actually, they were just arrested Yesterday, by the way, I found out in uh, um, in discussions with my friends in Uganda that the the Free Ukrainian or, or the the group in, U- in Uganda that was championing the Ukrainian cause were just arrested by the government in Uganda um, for for championing Ukrainian refugees because the government had just made a deal with Russia um, to buy oil from them and get uh, money for mercenaries there to, to send their army, the Ugandan army, into Russia to help them uh, fight in Ukraine. Uh, so this, the soldiers are getting paid about $500 a, a month, I guess. Um, and uh, they're dying for this cause of the president of, of Uganda on behalf of uh, the Russian government. And people in Uganda are getting arrested for that. I I found that all very shocking and and, uh, normal for the the old Cold War mentality, it seems. Well, I think you just nailed it right there. It's it's the old Cold War mentality, right? There's there's a very Western-centric view of the world uh, for most of the world. Right, like the, the, the three superpowers dominate, uh, United States, China, and Russia. And depending where you are in the world, like that's your perspective. Uh, and the vast majority of the world holds that English-speaking Western perspective. Right, so why is, why is it uh, okay to take in Ukrainian refugees? Uh, because Russia's bad, right? Russia's bad, China's bad. Um, so if people are fleeing Russia... Uh, it's okay because they got to get away from the bad guys, and that's the Russians. Um, I think I I want to say partially there's probably a smaller uh, racial view on that uh, because the Ukrainians look whiter, right? They're they're you know they they appealed they would fall into that Caucasian demographic, uh, so they're not you know they're they're not the the dirty minorities coming from those other countries that you listed off. You know the the lazies, uh, the the welfare recipients, right? These are these are good old fashioned hardworking Ukrainians, right? Who just who just wanted peace until the bad Russians come in uh, and try to steal that away from. Them. Um, so I think that's the general aspect of it, but it's and it extends beyond just the the refugees uh, because a lot of people who were you know anti gun maybe lean toward the left, want to disarm Americans and uh, bans on high-capacity assault rifles and 30 magazine clips or whatever they were saying, you know, that can explode the human lungs upon impact. Uh, they were happy, right, when the, when the Ukrainians were armed. Like, yeah, give them guns. You need that to defend against the incursion force of Russia. Um, but don't see the irony uh, when Americans are like, no, we need to keep our guns so that no one can, can take our freedoms as well. Um, so I think that's, you know, it's another, it's another hypocritical response looking at that um, and overlooking 
right? The the conscription of Ukrainian men who may have otherwise wanted to flee uh, because, you know, much like much like many Americans, right, who have no care or consequence to America's wars, uh, don't want to fight it, don't want to participate, not responsible for it, right? If if there's Ukrainian defensive forces against a Russian invasion and you're like, nope, deuces, I'm out of here, uh, as, as a hardworking Ukrainian man with a family to take care of or whatever, right? And you're like, nope, we're just, we're going to leave. We're going to, we're going to head West and see what, you know, what we can do and become one of those fleeing refugees looking to, to make a life better for themselves in another country. And the president of Ukraine goes, nope, you got to stay and fight. It's your duty, duty to country, right? And they were conscripted, enslaved, men made to fight uh, a force that, they could probably care less about in a lot of instances, just wanted to survive with their family, restart somewhere else because it is an invasion. Um, and, and no one says anything about like that behavior of the Ukraines. And that's not even to touch on the whole Nazi aspect of it, of the Ukraines that, you know, if you, if you get the fact checkers on Facebook, it's like, well, it's mostly, mostly false. You know, what do those symbols mean? Why is Putin talking about Nazis in Ukraine? Because it's true. Uh, but you can't say that, you know, because Russia bad, Ukraine good, Nazis bad. But if Nazis bad and they're in the Ukraine and Ukraine is okay with that, how can the Ukraines be good? And so it's that cognitive dissonance firing up again where you have to ignore it. Right? Like, oh, no, we're, we are not going to talk about the Nazis in the Ukraine. Uh, because Russia's the bad guys here. It's very clear. Russia invaded. Russia's the bad guys. You know, okay, they said they were trying to purge the Nazi invasion, you know, the Nazi rise in, in the Ukraine. But no, that's not a thing. Don't look at those symbols. Russia bad, Ukraine good. And I think and that's I think, the answer. Uh, it, it points out that uh, the whole world still seems, to, well, at least the leadership in governments around the world uh, still focuses on national identities that what matters is what the official government uh, uh, position is on a war and that individuals have no right to make judgments for themselves so if if um you know the current uh, Zelensky, the guy uh, who's the president of of ukraine says That's no we won't Zelensky. make any we won't make any um compromise we we we, we won't um Settle for any peace so long as um, as Russia occupies the Donbas uh, region or Crimea. Well, for some guy who's um, uh, lives in Kiev and and decides he well he doesn't want to fight for the Donbas region or he doesn't want to uh, become part of this uh, battleground over how far NATO will go. Uh, you know he wants to live his own life and so on. He doesn't have any choice about this. It's um, not an individual decision. It's it's the nation state itself that makes it for the populace and that makes the populace slaves. Yes, everywhere. So, yeah. Everywhere. And so, you know, we used to be, I mean, in fact, everybody is sort of universally opposed to the, the slavery that existed in plantations 200 years ago in the antebellum South. And it's recognized that slavery was bad. It was good to get rid of it around the world. But we've just replaced plantation slavery with state slavery, um, or, or maybe it's always existed. But it, it you've gotten rid right. of one kind—that's the private slavery—but uh, you've replaced it um, and continue to enforce it 
and as you said, ignored all of the uh, the the practices of of Ukraine in in compelling young men to 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 fight. And I've always been puzzled about this whole notion of of compulsory military draft. Why is it that human beings are the only ones that insist that they're young? Do their fighting for it? Why isn't it that that, that the elderly um, do the fighting and uh, you know try to protect their young? No, no, it's wow. got to be the young people, eighteen to twenty-four, when they've before they've really developed a, a sense of individual right and ownership of their own lives. Uh, that that they have to do the fighting, and they and they're indoctrinated that with that from the, from birth, and that men, of course, have that obligation over women. Um, I want to I want to take a stab at that real quick because it's uh, that seems to be a direct stemming from tribalism. Number one, same with the nation states, um, and also uh, capability, right? Like I watch I watch wrestling and I watch uh, mixed martial arts and combat sports, right? And it is the the shelf life on those fighters is very short depending on when you start right by the time you hit you're like the mid 30s pushing 40 depending on the weight class that you're in you're done you're like you're over the hill right so the the best time to be a warrior is that you know 20 to 28 30 maybe early 30s range so if you're going to put together a military force right that's that's the age range that you want your warriors to be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you put up if you put like the twenty year olds right if you had a, if you had a military force like the defending the nation, and it's and it's the like the tribal elders, right? They're going to get slaughtered because um, experience only goes so far uh, when it comes to you know sheer athletic ability. Look at any sport, right? Like the shelf life of athletes is very short. But modern warfare is only is minimally physical now. Most of it is uh, technological. And you would you look at a corporation. They just say, oh, well, we're only going to allow a CEO and a board of directors that's uh, between 20 and 30 years of age because they're the most physically fit. No, you're looking at what their skills are and cap- competence in organization and strategy. And for today's military, um, certainly organization and strategy and logistics and uh, all the technical aspects of, of war that should grow with the, with the experience of age. Yeah. Well, that's why you don't, that's why you don't see any generals in the early twenties, right? Cause the, and those are the survivors. Conscript journal uh, generals. Generals are all paid. You could say mercenaries. Uh, you sure. know, they're, I remember the, the famous debate between Milton Friedman and uh, general William Westmoreland. Um, when Westmoreland was saying, "No, we can't get rid of the military draft. You want a whole world, uh, a whole army filled with mercenaries," and Milton Friedman responded, "Oh, are you a mercenary then? Because you're paid to be there. You're you're voluntarily joining for the money." <laughs> and William Westmoreland was uh, flabbergasted. Yeah, uh, no one would have accused him How of being dare a mercenary. <laughs> but I mean, these are just uh, slanderous terms that uh, try to besmirch the idea of a professional a paid professional so what do you you want when you you don't want to draft somebody to be your heart surgeon you want to have a paid professional who's um, paid because of his expertise expertise 
to do it. Well, we, 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 the capitalists would say yes. Right. Like I want, you know, (laughs) I want the, I want the dude who has the skills and is able to charge for it. If at all possible, my budget might prevent that all the time. Right. But that's, that would be my top choice. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the, the definition of government versus the definition of terrorism. Right. It's fundamentally the same. Uh, except one is viewed as a good thing by the vast majority of people and one is viewed as a bad thing by the vast majority of people. So mercenaries, bad, right? Because we have, you know, a history of arts and entertainment telling us that mercenaries are the bad guys who go to the weird countries and do the bad things for money and only the money. Uh, but soldiers who do those exact same things who also get paid but have the added morality of in defense of country, Right. Uh, it somehow turns that into a noble cause instead, right? If, if, you, if you do mercenary work in defense of your homeland, fucking fantastic. Uh, if you do mercenary work just for the paycheck, uh, forget it. You're, you're evil. So, Notice how you mentioned sports. Notice how sports are very eager to get the very, very best of talent regardless of... Um, of their nationality or their race. Uh, and this is fairly recently, you know, I mean, I'd say probably in the last 50 years, race doesn't matter. Um, and nationality doesn't matter. 50 years before race, um, was an absolute barrier to getting into, into sports, but it isn't now people want the best of talent because that's where you're going to get the best team. And, um, why should it just be limited to sports? Why shouldn't it also be, the computer company and the restaurant and uh, everybody else say, well, it doesn't matter what race and nationality you are. We want the very best. So there's always this fear that, well, you could be letting a, a terrorist in. Well, Walmart could close all of its doors so that no terrorist will ever come in, but they don't. They have other we- ways of, of in, in opening up to as many customers as possible and then they devise other ways of, of, of scrutinizing the um, the possible terrorist rather than treating everybody as if they're a terrorist and shutting down, which is what countries do, nations do. Well, and, and again, it implies that terrorism only comes from the outside, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this notion of the... I mean, look at this, this uh, constant thing about the, the, the gun wars and everything... When I I just recently looked at the cost of the Afghan war and the Iraqi war, okay, 20 years of of fighting, about um, half a million people dead in Iraq, about a quarter million people dead in in Afghanistan, a, a minor fraction of it, Americans, but still valuable, useful Americans, and a about uh, two and a half trillion dollars of direct costs on those wars. Um, why isn't that considered to be a horrendous terrorist crime? What what our own leaders have done, and the general population has pretty much sloughed it off. You know, oh, that's what what our nation does because of the propaganda. It's 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 as simple as brainwashing the populace. Populace. It's that's it, right? They yeah. they they see the they see the the videos or the pictures or whatever of those incidences, right? 
And then the mainstream media, for whatever country you happen to be in, spins it, right? Like that was necessary to protect your freedom. How could you know what they would have done had we not killed them that day? Like your life was on the line, potentially, and we saved it by killing a handful of other people, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the mentality that people in whatever country you happen to be in walk around with. Right, that's why there's so much uh, cheering. Right, like thank a soldier. Right, like they they thank they, you for your service. Thank you for yeah. your service. Right, yeah. they 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 allowed your existence to be as peaceful as it is. Right, without them, all hell breaks loose. But thank God that they're out there, you know, defending you afar, so that you don't have to defend yourself here domestically. Um, and that's not even where I was going with that line of thought, right? Like the, the terrorism aspect, uh, the domestic terrorism aspect exists within the military. Um, I don't know how bad it is now. I don't have like, you know, current statistics. But at one point, they had a gang problem in the military, right? Do you, do you guys, either of you remember like all of this? The, the white supremacists or the, or the you know, um the uh, drug gangs or what? Well, I didn't. I, which, no, uh, Bloods, Crips, MS-13. Much, much like the, much like we don't talk about, you know, the Nazis in the Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. Because the Ukrainians, you know, they have their, uh, the, I forget the name of the Asgar, whatever, with their Nazi sim, symbolism and you know patches and whatnot. At one point in time, you could there were pictures floating around of your average everyday American soldier, you know, posing for a photo like flashing gang symbols. And why? Because the gangs sent them in to the military uh, to get weapons training, number one, and also, you know, to, to, to get that, you know, get the funds and whatever connections they needed throughout. So that was, in the military, gangs infiltrated, right? In the domestic police force, white supremacists infiltrated, Right. It's a weird it's a weird thing because I see that, right? And yet at the same time I'm I'm generally with the other libertarians who go like, well, you can't change the system from the inside. Uh, but the gangs are getting in and they're doing bad shit, and the white supremacists are getting into the police force and making it, you know, more white friendly and less minority friendly, or have been, you know, for, for decades. Um and it seems like that infiltration programs have been working. Right, say, you know, uh, Rage Against the Machine, the rock band, has been taking a lot of heat recently because they just went back on tour. Uh, but they weren't wrong, right, In you know, when the, when, the, when the song first came out about there being a white supremacist uh, clan problem in the police forces, especially in the South. So mm. that exists, right? Gang members exist in the United States military, Right, flashing their gang symbols or whatever, or at least did. I can't imagine they've been flushed out with <laughs> with any certainty. Um, and a Nazi problem exists within the Ukraine military, and it just it's overlooked because it doesn't fit the propaganda and the narrative that they're feeding you. Right? You can't have you can't have gang members defending freedoms in the country. Right? That's that's not good optics, mm-hmm. but it's true. They're there, and I, I have a buddy who's not. Not gang affiliated, right? But he joined. Uh, oh man, what did he join? Army, National Guard. He joined what? He was old, 
right? And he was like the oldest you can possibly be to get into the military. And I, I'm not responsible for it, but I know that with a lot of conversations with him, it was, dude, the shit's hitting the fan. Like we we're in the midst of the shit hitting the fan. And that was his big reason for joining was like, he wa- I want a guaranteed paycheck from the government, number one. <laughs> and I want weapons training so that I can come back and be allowed to carry what most people can't, especially in Hawaii. Um, and have the training, you know, the, the, the government, you know, nil spec level training to defend my family. Um, and I, th- I think he went in and became a medic. So he tried to, tried to ride that fine line as well. <laughs> what but a the- clever strategy. I never thought about that, you know, but uh, I mean, I, the airlines for years have been taking advantage of air flight, uh, air force training so that they get their pilots trained uh, at the taxpayer's expense and then yep. pick them up as experienced pilots. So that that makes sense for every <laughs> profession. It would. I mean, if you know, if, if you could. Um, a, a question came up on Free Talk Live last week Sunday. I don't remember exactly what the question was. Uh, it might have been having to. It was something about. Um, oh, I know what it was. It was the floods in Kentucky or whatever, and the government response to it, and like, do we need government responding to that sort of thing? Right, and the general consensus around the table was, government makes it worse. We don't need the government's assistance. Um, and my final comment was, but I don't begrudge anyone for taking it. Right, if if your house has just been wiped away, and the state is turning away private charities from assisting, and they're saying, well, we're the only ones that can help. Here's yeah, I got food and blankets and shelter for you, but you gotta you gotta come over here. Right, I'm, I can't be mad at the person for going like, yeah, I kind of need food, housing, you know, shelter. Yeah, I, I, I can see that, and yet it goes on this side too that it may have encouraged a lot of the damage, in the way that the uh, federal flood insurance encourages people to build in flood zones. I mean, I'm guessing that uh, that the federal flood insurance. I mean, I know that billions of dollars worth of um, homes have been destroyed because of storms on the on the coastline and and flood zones in New Orleans and everywhere else because of federal flood insurance removing the risk for them. So they build in places that are risky and the right. banks are glad to, to re, you know, refinance these things. Insurance companies um, do it too because they know the government's going to come back as, as one guy in Jordan, Texas, got his house rebuilt something like 17 times from disasters. Um, now, you're right. I don't know if, how much these overlap, I'm sure there's a part of that. Um, I don't. I don't know with certainty either. But that that was definitely true in Katrina's situation, right? Like, yeah, you 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 know that it's being blocked off by levees, and you know you're below the flood line. Like, you know, any minor disruption, and poof, it's all gone, right? Like, you have to know these things. Um, in Hawaii, right? There's there's people that build on the Big Island with an active volcano nearby. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's encouraged. Just look at this. Um, I, anecdotally, I think I shared at one point. I don't know the details because I'm not all that close with them. Uh, but at one point, like my son's school was called off because the school was all of a sudden in the path of the lava flow, and it was it was gonna it was coming through whether you like it or not. Right? I go, who would build a school there? Uh, people who can get that insurance, obviously. But in Kentucky, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm sure there's an overlap. It's not, if I was betting, it's a, it's a pretty safe bet that you can, that that's part of it, right? 
um, you know, those, those people know their areas better than I do, right? Like with, with all the hurricanes that Florida gets hit by, right? I can't imagine anyone wanting to build anything substantial in that area without having some sort of hurricane insurance or policy against it. Like it just, to me, it seems dumb, right? What was it a, 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 um, a recognized and common flood zone that the, where this, um, where these were? That's the thing. I don't know about the Kentucky floods. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you in saying that it's a safe assumption, but I don't know for certain, but in yeah. Katrina, it was, it was definitely obvious, right? The, the Katrina, everyone knew that there was potential that that particular situation was plausible, if not more than likely, and it was just a matter of time, right? Um, in Hawaii, on the Big Island, depending on where you're at, right, it's it's an active volcano, right? So you if you if you build near the active volcano, you have to expect your stuff getting wiped out by lava flow at some point, perhaps. Yes. Right. If you build on the coast of Florida, right, you have to expect that it's going to get destroyed in a hurricane. Right. Like that's it gets hit with Hawaii is lucky that hurricanes are always like a fucking near miss and have been for decades. But you do I'm calling it. You do, um, especially with all the global warming. and whatnot. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but Florida gets hit way more often. Right. Every. It's, it's, they have a season for it, right? Oh, it's hurricane season. What, what are we going to have now, <laughs> right? And then a hurricane comes in and does, you know, some heavy winds or some, you know, water damage or whatever, and then all the, the insurance claims go out. Like, why would you do that? I know you got to build somewhere, but, like, you know, be more diligent about where you're – or, you know, be more diligent about what you're building or, you know, let's, let's get the building technology, technology up to spec, Right, like Japanese, prone to hurricane, uh, earthquakes, right? So they have, like, the buildings are built on fucking giant ball bearings. Have you seen this technology? No. Huh? Oh, my goodness. There, it's literally a giant ball bearing uh, at the bottom of the building that acts as, like, uh, man, what's the, I want to say, like, a shock and stabilizer, right? So the ground rumbles, and it moves the ball bearing, and the building stays upright, Right? Like the, the technology is there, um, you know, and, and built to withstand the winds at high up, you know, so the building may sway and flex and bend and bow, but shall not break because they know that they're expecting, you know, high winds uh, up top and potential earthquakes. Look it up. It's fascinating. The, the Japanese buildings with the giant ball bearings instead yeah. of a parking garage, it's like a giant steel ball underneath of it. It's, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, exaggerating a little bit, but. That's that's the conceptually that's what it is. Awesome. <laughs> it, uh, I mean, it, go ahead. I think I think we had a uh, uh, article to to go over a headline. Oh, okay. Well, was, I'm gonna. I have the headline there. I'm gonna read the headline. I don't know how much of the article we're gonna get into because I have brought this up several times, and this is the one where I was like, "Where is KS? I need KS." Because although, you know, I, I, although I'm an amateur economist, right, like I, I read, I study, I, you know, I, I technically have a, um, it's technically in my college background as well. Um, and it's, an, it's in an interest enough of mine to get to me to where I am. Um, but sometimes 
things come out and I hear the perspective on it and I go, there's got to be another take. And this was another one where I went, I wonder if this is the proper take. I want to talk to KS. And then you weren't here for like a month or two KS. And I was like, ah, son of a, you know, okay. <laughs> but, but you're back now. And so this was in the midst of all the inflationary policies and money printings and whatnot that the, you know, the government is doing. And, oh, my God, what are they doing? Um, here's, an, here's another headline just before we get into this one, and maybe we'll circle back to this one. The Inflation Reduction Act won't actually reduce inflation, right? So you got the government trying to do a thing. You know, they, they cause the inflation, but they don't, rec- like much like the term recession, uh, they don't recognize what inflation actually is, and therefore their proscriptions uh, tend to be m- misleading and or just flat out wrong, and in this case, won't actually reduce inflation, right? You got others going like, oh, okay, what we need to curb the inflation is more stimulus checks, right, to help the average individual who's affected by this inflation, uh, dumbfounded, right? That that's exacerbating the problem. Uh, and so I, you know, so I, I see all this going on and then I see, you know, uh, libertarians, you know, other anarchists, whatever, complaining, like, look at all this money that we're sending overseas, you know, like, we're, you know, sending it to the Ukraine and sending it to whatever and, you know, doing all this other stuff and, sending all this money to other countries when when the people of the united states are the ones who really need it because we're hurting here and i went isn't that a good thing like if (laughs) if they're gonna if they're gonna print trillions of dollars don't we want to flood other markets with it you know like shouldn't we be like yeah send it to ukraine please (laughs) print 20 trillion and send it there you know like maybe (laughs) obviously exaggerating again but don't don't print 20 trillion right and release it into the domestic market because that would be chaos and a catastrophe. Um, and so I wanted to get your thoughts on that, and I'll give you a minute. Uh, well, um, you know, give me one more minute, and then I'll turn it over to you for your expounded explanation. Um, and then I came across this headline, because honestly, I, I didn't expect you to be here today, Cass. It's not like we planned this at a time. You're always welcome, and I am mm-hmm. always delighted uh, when you're here. But I went, son of a bitch. Someone wrote the article right, of what I was thinking. So the headline is, can we export inflation? And then they answered in the headline, uh, yes, we can, and yes, we are. So I read this early this week, and I went vindicated, putting it in the prep folder, uh, but now I have UKS. So they've answered the question. Uh, before we get into the article, I'll let you kind of go over what you were going over with me prior to hitting the record button. Can we export the inflation, and is it a good idea to do so? Like what do we what do we get out of it? Well, yes, you can export the inflation, but it's not a good idea. Inflation um, is the increase in the quantity of money relative to the goods, and therefore it diminishes the purchasing power of it. That's why counterfeiters are sent to jail because they are diminishing the purchasing power of other people's money and taking products away from the uh, from society. So right, but if um, we print it and send it there. It doesn't well, necessarily then, diminish our purchasing power, which is like my that, concern. That's, that's true, but but um, I consider it uh, equally bad whether we do it to people in this country or people in those countries. I don't consider we as. I mean, I am. Yeah, I'm an individual, and whether people in the United States are 
winners or losers by this um, doesn't make, I don't make the distinction. If, if people in other countries are being hurt by it too, then that's, that's bad. And what the reason it does that is that because they hold dollar reserves in exchange for goods that they send to the United States. Um, so they send goods to the United States. We send little green pieces of paper with pictures of presidents on the front. They store those in their uh, reserve bank vaults to hedge against emergencies or to buy um, fuel or something like that in the future to pay off debts. And um, how more foolish more is that, by the that way? Have, Real goods yeah. and services for little pieces of green paper. Who does that? And why? Well, you and I do it every time we go to the store. We give little green pieces of paper to the store, and they give us goods. So because they're going to use those things in another transaction with somebody else. So we're, we're all doing it. But um, uh, the more and more that the Fed prints up of those things, the less and less value that each and every one of those dollars has. And it falls very heavily on lower-income people, especially. Higher-income people don't need those dollars to buy food, clothing, and shelter, so they're able to trade them away for things that go up in value during times of inflation, land, gold, collectibles, um, uh, you know, debt, uh, things like that. And, and those things are uh, in, in greater value during times of inflation. So it's it, what I consider a huge redistribution of wealth from yeah. mostly poor to mostly well-to-do, but especially to governments. Governments are the biggest holders of land and gold and, and collectibles, and they get to print the money and spend it first before the prices go up. So did you catch governments the, do it because they benefit. Did you catch the tone-deaf statement uh, from, I think it was like the San Francisco Fed chair earlier this week? No, what was that? Oh, my God. So she, her salary is apparently like six figures, like 400 thousand dollars a year, right? And she goes, she said something to the effect of, I don't really even see the effects of inflation. Like the, the rising prices don't really bother me at all. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> of course not. Right? You've got uh, the Buttigieg and Stephen Colbert going like, ah, if you can't afford gas, just buy a Tesla. Just buy electric. <laughs> right? The, uh, the audacity. The audacity to think it. Right? The, the balls to say it out loud. Right? The Fed chairman. Right? Where, where, you know, in, in California, so maybe, maybe, maybe their audience, you know, I'm sure there's poor, poor regions of California, but maybe they're speaking to the Hollywood elite. But the audacity to, you know, to suggest that inflation isn't a problem because she can still afford things, right? Whereas every, the people, as you said, Cass, on the lower end of that spectrum, right? When, when things go up 10%, right? That might be it. Right, that's like you were already you were already on the line of no savings for the month, right? The the you know the vast majority of people living paycheck to paycheck, you know what happens when the the balance sheet shows that your expenses are all of a sudden more than your paycheck, and the paycheck doesn't keep up, right? That's the vast majority of people, not her and her ivory tower, going like, oh yeah, four hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't I don't notice the cost when the you know. When a can look, of broccoli look at this goes up. irony. They're, they're boasting about how they're going to raise the minimum wage to, let's say, $15 an hour, simultaneously cutting their wage, the purchasing power of their wage, by 9% every year, while in two years that's 18% uh, the, or more because of the um, compounding, uh, that, that they just destroy the purchasing power of their money. And yet... Um, 
people are, are, are so willing to go along with this, uh, oh, they're going to raise our minimum wage. Uh, they must be for the good, for the little guy. Yeah. And then they undermine his purchasing power by twice as much. You know, it's just outrageous. Negating the effects before it even took place. So yeah, yeah. here here in New Hampshire, there is no state minimum wage. Um, the, the, federal, the federal minimum wage is the minimum wage here. So it's like seven something an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have been begging, pleading uh, with my bosses to give me a raise since like the beginning of the pandemic. Unsuccessfully, I might add. But if, you know, if any conversations we've had in the past indicate I don't do a lot of work, so it's a very hard job to quit. Uh, that being said, right, in like part of my negotiating tactic was pointing out, right, what the sign in front of the McDonald's down the street is hiring at, right? Like entry level burger flipper at McDonald's in Manchester, New Hampshire is about $16 an hour with a sign on bonus. And that's yeah. with that's in a state with no no state minimum wage, right? And that's the effective the minimum, minimum wage, wage advocates. Uh, they would never do that on their own. They they would have to be compelled by government to pay more than the minimum wage. <laughs> and it's clearly false, evidenced yeah. by what I just said, right? So that's you well, know I'm like for years I've seen a um, a sign outside the Walmart downtown uh, on Fort Street Mall in Honolulu. Uh, saying, you know, Walmart said, we'll pay $12 an hour, no experience required, um, and, uh, you know, flexible hours, everything you want, uh, sign up here. And just next to the sign are these people panhandling, you know, saying, well, give me some money because I can't can't manage. Well, they could step inside the store and get a pay. But it might also require them to get a shower and to show up on time and... uh, you know, I mean, there there are certain certain expectations of employment that um, a lot of people really don't want, and that's one reason why I love the idea of immigrants. They they're hardworking, extremely um, uh, strong work ethic, and they were willing to work for um, a lot less money and a lot harder work at a lot harder work uh, at jobs um, under worse conditions. They're they're willing to do all that, but yeah. not allowed to. And okay, and to be fair, some of that is a comparison issue, right? Like when when I first moved here to New Hampshire, um, things were good compared to Hawaii, right? Like, oh my God, everything is so cheap. Like, I have more mm. disposable income or whatever. And so, like the 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 opportunity cost for those immigrants, right? Like, mm. work work hard for you know, four U.S. dollars, right, or work hard for the equivalent of half of a U.S. dollar in your home country, right? Mm-hmm. And you go, like, they come here, like, of course they're willing to work for four bucks an hour because that's eight times what they were getting, you know, wherever they came from. Um, you sure, still have to have the work makes ethic. It, yeah, and, and it makes a, an extremely, I mean, can you imagine saying, oh, well, I think I'll, risk my life going across a hot desert and, and possible death um, in order to get to a job that pays me 10 times more. Well, frankly, most people don't, aren't willing to do that. You've really got to be um, diligent and hardy and um, courageous to do that sort of stuff. I don't know, man. If, if someone offered me 10 times more and I had just had to like cross a desert, I might take them up on that offer. That's mm, Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. considering that you might get 
stopped and arrested 10 times and taken back and you have to keep on paying some coyote, uh, you know, a, a mountain of money, much more than, than you're expecting to earn just to get the uh, passageway. I mean, I think yeah. that I remember reading one time that the, like a, a Honduran who earns um, maybe $4,000 a year uh, on average might have to pay $6,000 to a coyote just just to get the chance to get across the border. And even then, you're not sure you're going to be able to last. Yeah. Yeah, lots of, uh, well, anyway, those are. I I understand it. I just know, like, in my situation, 10 times my current pay, uh, that I wouldn't mind some added risk. That's all I'm saying. Right. Yeah, sure. And, and um, well, actually. Like, 10 times my current pay, and I could be, like, fucking Fed chairman in San Francisco, not worrying about inflation. Actually, I'd much rather you be the Fed chair in San Francisco than that other person. And and you'd probably take a pay cut from what she's getting, right? <laughs> I would do it for a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the other thing, right? Like all the, you know, the, 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 the wage comparison, right? The, it's the, the immigrants are willing to do it for less. And because we have a different level of expectation for what, you know, us as domestic uh, Native Americans, not the Indians, but, you know, local, local Americans, right? I may not want, I would not work that hard for that pay, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I've, I'm, I've, you know, it's not posh, but I've got like the nice white collar job, air conditioned office, you know, getting paid, you know, more than what they have, more than what they're getting for, you know, picking fruits in the field. And I was like, I don't want to do that hard work for that pay right mm-hmm. you would have to pay me the 10 times you know what i'm getting to even consider doing that level of hard work and that's one of the things that i've maintained like my job is hard to quit because whatever job i take next is going to be a significant increase in actual effort uh compared to a nominal increase in pay you know and so you know to, to get me to move from my current position is going to take a significant increase in pay uh, to get me to want to do that much extra work. But who knows what happens? You know, things come to a head at some point and, you know, you just, things happen. That's all I'll say. But yeah, so to, you know, so to, to 10, but I will say 10 times more than what I'm making now uh, would, would absolutely increase the amount of risk that I'm willing to take and the amount of effort that I'm willing to put into a job. Right. And look at it the other way. If inflation is eroding the purchasing power, what does that do to the incentive to keep up a good job? You know, you might say, well, I, I really don't need to work as hard because what am I getting for it? You you respond to incentives. And if the incentives are diminished by 9% a year, and, and that's just accepting government statistics on what the inflation impact has been, yeah. I suspect it's much more than that. Um, I've tried. that. That was part of my pitch to the bosses for the past few years. And, you know, the, it really comes down to, um, the, the acknowledgement that I don't really want to leave the company. Right, right. Right. So there's like, there's no threat of me quitting. And so there's no reason to, you know, to, to negotiate the higher wage necessarily. I'm like, oh yeah, we can give it to you or whatever. But at some point, right. When, when burger flipper at McDonald's is like $25 an hour, Right. I go, you know what? At that point, maybe I just go back to entry level. I'll go back to entry level work. 
and you won't be able to, you won't replace, you will never be able to replace me after this for what you're currently paying me now because the market has moved on and you just failed to keep up with it. So you could have kept me with experience, right? And given me what you would have given, you know, a little more than what you would have given the replacement. Uh, but now you screwed yourself by, cause you're not going to get a replacement for this, for n- even near close to the same wage. And you're going to have to train them and they're not going to be as good. And sometimes you just have to quit and, and, uh, and let them know, like, hey, just offer me more money, I might come back. <laughs> yeah, and that's you are correct. Um, yeah, there's risk in that, but, and there's yeah. a risk. <laughs> and right now, be, again, because of how little I actually do, it's not a risk I want to take. But at some point, it becomes one, right? Like you go know, like ten times more. It's things things become you know risk tolerable uh, for the right money, right? There's a you know. <laughs> Again, talk, talking with some people, you know, um, there's, uh, I'm not going to name names, but there's the, the Crypto 6 case going on uh, right now. Um, two of the Crypto 6 still have pending cases. Um, one of them, the, the man who goes by the name of Nobody, uh, was recently sentenced, basically to time served, and they stole a bunch of his money. Um, and... There's the, you know, so, so they've got that going on. Um, oh, where was I going with that? I had a point. What were we talking about right before that? Because I was leading into it. Help me. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was talking about like wages or something. It might have been the risk, the risk factor. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll move on. So continue, KS, exporting the inflation. And if I remember, if I remember what I was going to say, I'll interrupt. Did we lose him? I think he's heading out the door, uh, but oh. he's got his phone. So Okay. Well, let me just continue commenting on the Crypto 6 thing because it's, it's big news here. Um, but there, you know, the, a couple of them still have trials coming up. The, the one they called nobody was recently sentenced, and there was uh, an issue of whether or not his sentence was a good thing. Right? It was, you know, time served. Um, he's considered indigent. Uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't work uh, normally like, you know, the average person does. Um, and they, and part of the raid, they confiscated his, his, you know, coins and gold and whatever Bitcoins that they could get their hands on and also find them like $10,000. And there was a post that said like, you know, nobody win, nobody with the victory. I was like, well, that's stupid because he lost. Like he, you know, he pled guilty basically. Um, so you know, it's just, a, it's, it's a matter of perspective in, you know, when you're fighting the state, who actually wins and who actually loses. But there's, you know, there's a risk in doing that kind of stuff, like, you know, taking it to court, fighting it. And some people are willing to take that risk and some people aren't. And, you know, de- depending on the payout, right, who knows what that could actually be. All right. I guess without KS, I'll just, you want to read the article or well, what's the time? Yeah, we got a couple of minutes. All right. All right, here we go then. Here's the official response from Zero Hedge on can we export inflation? Yes, we can. A strong currency export inflation to those nations which do not issue the currency. Though it is difficult to be confident of anything in the current flux, I am pretty confident of three things. Number one, price is set on the margins. Number two, currencies are the foundation of every economy. And three, the financial forecasts issued to calm the public do not reflect operative geopolitical goals. Every national government has global interest. 
Governments naturally do whatever they can to boost dynamic favorable uh, dynamics favorable to the state and the nation and obstruct or hinder dynamics injurious to the state or nation. As a general rule, nations have relatively few levers they can pull on to influence global finance, trade, growth, currencies, or the geopolitical balance of power. One such lever is the interest the state pays on its sovereign bonds. If a central bank state increases the interest it pays on its bonds, that attracts capital seeking higher return, uh, presuming the bond is perceived as safe from default. This inflow of capital strengthens demand for its currency because the bonds are denominated in the state's currency. As the currency strengthens vis-a-vis other currencies, it buys more goods and services. Imports become cheaper and the nation's exports become more costly to those using other currencies. Another lever is to reduce the exports of commodities, especially essential commodities like energy and grains. If this reduction reduces the global supply, the price leaps. If allies get the exports and enemies don't, this punishes enemies and rewards allies. A third lever is to limit imports. A consumer nation can limit imports from specific exporters or make do with domestic supplies or only buy from allies. A fourth lever is to meet with allies and reach an agreement about finance and commodities to stave off imbalances that threaten the stability of the alliance. An example of this is the 1985 Plaza Accord that weakened the U.S. dollar at the expense of the Japanese yen and European currencies. The strong dollar was crushing U.S. exports and generating destabilizing trade deficits in the U.S. Each of these levers has geopolitical consequences. Financial actions, such as raising interest rates, are presented as purely financial, but their geopolitical consequences are not lost on the nation's political-slash-military leadership. Boosting or trimming exports of commodities can be presented as financial as well, even when the real purpose is geopolitical. In other words, events which are presented as solely financial can also serve geopolitical aims beneath the domestic-centric rah-rah. Consider how the price of oil contributed to the collapse of the Soviet Union. In the mid to late 1980s, the price of oil fell and stayed relatively low for years. In 1986, oil fell under $10 a barrel. Adjusted for inflation, this was lower than the prices paid in the late 1950s. Although this ample oil supply was fundamentally a result of super major oil field discovered in the 1960s and 70s coming online, it had a geopolitical consequence few fully appreciate. It pushed the Soviet Union over the fiscal cliff into collapse. Oil and natural gas exports were the primary source of the Soviets' hard cash it needed to buy goods and commodities from other nations. Once the oil revenues dried up, the Soviet Union was no longer financially viable. Was this lengthy glut of oil just good luck for the U.S., or was it a policy agreement with Saudi Arabia and other oil exporters that nudged the price lower also a factor? What do you reckon pure luck or luck nudged to achieve a political, geopolitical goal? Given the high stakes and the vulnerability of the USSR to low oil prices, it is plausible that it was entirely happy happenstance. In the 35 years since the Plaza Accord, the U.S. has endeavored to keep the dollar relatively weak for a number of reasons. To limit trade deficits and avoid putting undue pressure on emerging countries with debts denominated in USD and nations that imported commodities priced in USD, which is virtually all commodities. This weak dollar policy has changed with profound implications. The soaring USD is adding a currency surcharge on top of rising prices for commodities such as oil and grain. Take Japan as an example. The yen has weakened 20% against the USD. This means every commodity price in USD is 20% higher in price for those using yen. 
add the increase in costs due to global scarcities, and that is double whammy hit of inflation. The sharp increases in inflation and price of essentials are recessionary. As demand craters, people simply don't have enough earnings to pay higher costs for essentials and maintain their discretionary spending on goods and services. Recall that prices set on the margins. If supply of oil falls 5 billion per barrel per day, prices rise. But if demand falls 10 million barrels per day, the price of oil plummets. As the price of oil falls, oil exporters receive much less money, and so they compensate by pumping more oil. This serves to further depress prices. Who would benefit from a rising U.S. dollar and a global recession, and who would be hurt? The U.S. would benefit from a higher U.S. dollar because that lowers the cost of all imports. Everyone else using weaker currencies would pay more for imported commodities. As demand for oil falls, prices plummet. That helps consumer nations and hurts oil exports. As the USD rises, it drags every currency pegged to the USD higher with it, making their exports more expensive. That would pressure China's exports, forcing China to adjust its currency peg, reducing the power of everyone using yuan uh, slash RMB. Is the looming global recession merely bad luck? Or could an unavoidable global recession be nudged to serve geopolitical aims? The forces that have been unleashed, higher interest rates, scarcity, strong dollar, will take time to work through the global economy. The U.S. dollar may drop and oil may rise in the next few months. But where will global demand and oil be in a year? Many people expect the dollar to weaken and the Federal Reserve to lower interest rates back to zero once the recession becomes undeniable. Uh, USD dominated foreign bank entities. I'm not so sure a case can be made that interest rates have completed a 40-year cycle of decline and are now in a secular cycle higher. A case can also be made that a weak dollar policy has ended and the dollar will move higher, accelerating the financial and geopolitical consequences described above. A strong currency exports inflation to those nations which do not issue currency. Luck, coincidence, or nudge, maybe it doesn't matter, Maybe what matters is that it's happening. Uh, end of the article. So your thoughts on that uh, related to what KS was talking about a little earlier, if any. Um, yeah, sorry. I don't have too much thoughts on it right now. All right. <laughs> we can just wrap it up then because now now we've cleared the time window. Uh, final thoughts. Right nope. All right. That'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace.